Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You know, when I was asked as a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, I used to say... I want to be a businesswoman in a turquoise convertible with my hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> it's like, what a vision. Welcome to the Rhythm of Life with me, OT, Love We Sit. The podcast where I talk to some of my favourite celebrity friends and I find out all about their lives, their inspirations, their childhood memories and what makes them tick. Today I am joined by the incredibly talented Angela Skellen. She's the presenter of Oi! Ginger! Her stunts on The One Show, BBC Radio 2, but is an all-round awesome gal. Here is Angela Skellen. Welcome Angela Skellen to The Rhythm of Life. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. How are you? You look radiant. You look gorgeous. You look like a girl on fire. (laughs) Literally on fire. Um, Yeah, I do. I have a hot water bottle tucked behind my back. So that could be what's leading to the fiery look. Tell me a little bit about your past. You come from a town, right? A town that's called Rat Oath? Yeah. I want to know how to say it, but with your accent. We're going back. So it's called, do you know what? It's... uh, even Irish people can't really pronounce it. So it's called Rathoth. But most, Rathoth, yeah. But r- most people call it Rathoth. <laughs> like the, with the double H, Rathoth. But actually, that's relatively easy. So I grew up in the parish of Rathoth. But actually, I went to school in a neighbouring village called Dunshocklin. <laughs> Which, just for the record, is spelled D-U-N-S-H-A-U-G-H-L-I-N. How do I say this? Dun Shocklin, like as in shock to the system. Dun Shocklin. How how was (laughs) it growing up for you? It it was, I assume, a small town, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, small town. We were out in the sticks. Um, So, yeah, uh, I'm one of four girls and we were quite, like, I I think we were quite wild. Like, you know, in hindsight... There was an innocence to the wildness, yeah. but we were quite feral as children and it was pretty um, free, I suppose. Yeah. Where, where do you uh, come in between the four sisters? Are you first one? So I'm I'm second from the top. Ooh, how does that work? Because the first one usually thinks that they're the mom and then there's yeah. the middle child with like, oh, middle child syndrome and then the baby, yeah. but with four, mm. that's unique. It's yeah, so there's two crackpots in the middle now instead of one. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a, like a sense of middle childness of myself and my other middle sister. So Christine is the eldest, then there's me, Siobhan and Annette. Um, and I think it's fairly bang on that Christine, the eldest and Annette, the youngest, inhabit those kind of stereotypical roles quite well. And 
Yeah, myself and Siobhan probably fulfill the middle child role equally. Do, do, you, um, do you compare yeah. how much of a middle child you are to each other? Like, nobody cares about me because there's someone older. She's like, nobody cares about me because there's someone younger. <laughs> well, I kind of never really know. I'm like, what? It, what is the definition of a middle child? Somebody who's like looking for attention, clearly. <laughs> Hello. Um, I definitely went down that quite, you know, classic route. Um but yeah, we, we're both probably a little, um, quote unquote, we're a bit needier, maybe. Yeah. We're a bit, I, I think we're probably more sensitive. Do you know what? I'll stop speaking for her. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am definitely a sensitive human and it possibly has something to do with the fact, um, uh, the placement in my family. I mean, I was, I was born when my sister was 18 months old Ooh. and then there was three years maybe between myself and the next one and then the it was 10 and a half months between my youngest two sisters. So they're like classic Irish twins. I know your face says it all. And that's exactly <laughs> what I feel. Uh, <laughs> uh, shock, by the way, listener, yeah, is yeah. what her face says. I just, I just feel and like slight mom, disgust. Your mom just I went, know. Bam, bam. No, I'm not discussing it. I yeah. love it. Tell me how was it growing up? Were you surrounded by a lot of music, food, dancing, family? Um, yeah, I mean, so just to put it in context, my mum, absolute hero in today's terms. My dad is one of 14 children. Oh my So like my granny who passed away at 93 had 14. She actually birthed 15 children. Um, and so, yeah, so four seems, you know, modest enough by those, um, standards. It was actually my dad's mum. Um, but yeah, our family, it was like, yeah, there was, there was a lot of music. It was like a lot of country music, a lot of Irish music, like very traditional Irish music. Um, you know, quite rebellious actually in terms of the, the songs. And sometimes I forget because they're so innate mm. to me that when I'm over here and I think, Oh wow, that is actually quite like, it's quite an angry song <laughs> <laughs> to sing in these w- waters. So, um, yeah, so there was a lot of music. We did Irish dancing, yeah. the four of us. We played piano. Um, we played the accordion. Like we were kind of stuck in everything, really. But also very, um, yeah. It was just kind of like there was a lot of independence. Mm. I think my mom, you know, my dad worked. My dad had his own business. My mum was, you know, te- like stay at home mum. But then in in slightly later years, worked with my dad in the business. So she kind of carried a, an awful lot yeah. and I think as a result we were often kind of not left to our own devices but there was definitely you know she wasn't like a classic helicopter mom um so yeah it was it, it there was a lot of freedom. freedom like they were quite quite strict um as we got older like out of protection once we became teenagers and I think you know my dad for girls in the house so it was like this kind of oh my god I've got four girls that I need to stop getting pregnant (laughs) like ultimate fear as a father of teenage girls and so you know and then they grew up in a very Catholic Ireland so you know there were echoes of that and that was all slightly being dismantled with one scandal after another as we were getting older and so you know we kind of observed like when I was a kid and my mom would 
you know, leave to go into our good room um, to like, and she had a little prayer book that her mother had given her and she would essentially like take a few minutes out to meditate or snooze with four young children. (laughs) But I remember thinking she was quite religious and we would go to mass every Sunday and then that kind of slowly fell away. I think my dad became quite disillusioned with everything that was happening in Ireland specifically, but, you know, probably more generally. And um, yes, I may be speaking in tongues because if you didn't grow up in Ireland, you might not have any idea what I'm talking about. But there was a lot of abuse uncovered in the Catholic Church at the time. And like a lot of scandals kind of one after the other. And suddenly they were questioning this um, kind of system that they had Mm. been born into. And they were thinking you know, we christened our children and, uh, you know, that law says that we need to keep bringing them to mass, but they didn't really believe in mass anymore. But also it was, they were, they were judged if they didn't go to mass every week and just showed up at Christmas. And so there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on that maybe only in hindsight, I'm kind of aware of. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a busy house, let's say. Do you feel like that you are quite religious today? Are you quite into your faith? No. No. Uh, no, I am not. I think it's fair to say that I am not religious. However, I, I think I definitely was affected by um by kind of that unraveling yeah. publicly of what was happening and, and looking at them kind of uh, struggle with, with their faith because I suppose they, they had a kind of solid mm. deep faith which we didn't really have um you know we would say our prayers I remember and it was actually really lovely memories of sitting on my dad's knee when we were um really small and like wow. our ritual would be to come down and say our prayers before we'd go up to bed um and you'd kind of rattle through them you know it was like very rhythmic chanting yeah. almost um but yeah I You know, as teenagers, we kind of, you know, didn't really go as we had a bit more of a choice for loads of different reasons. Um, But I've come back around not to like Catholicism, but I would say I'm I'm, I'm very, very might be a push, but I'm I'm definitely spiritual and I have been kind of drawn back towards that. And I kind of think of, you know, maybe faith in a different way than what I understood before. You know, for me back in the day this god was this kind of you know it was somebody to be feared like i was aware of this you know presence that would see the things i had done wrong exactly that and and so yeah so faith wasn't a particularly safe thing it mm. it didn't feel open it didn't feel understanding it didn't feel particularly loving was my kind of experience of it and then yeah, I've definitely in recent years kind of come back around to to figuring out my own faith and maybe just being more aware of my, you know, smallness in a much bigger system. And actually, I find that quite comforting to to have a belief that's uh, bigger than London. Oh, my God. Did you ever re- rebel as a teenager? Um, yes. <laughs> why am I not surprised? I feel like, why am I not, why am I, I not surprised? <laughs> I think, weirdly, I think, um, maybe when I was a kid, there was a fear that I was going to be really wild because I was very lively and energetic and cheeky and giddy. Mm. You know, that would have been my school reports where I was giddy. And so there was always a, a fear that I was going to be wild. And I think I was, you know, I I definitely had a healthy disregard for authority, I, I would say. I, I um, love that. I love, I, I hated anything that people, I, I hate the concept of people saying I need to, 
you need to give me your respect. I always felt like yeah. you need to earn my respect. That's earn it, you're babe. older or younger. I'm not giving you anything. Completely. And that kind of sense of, you know, equality and of some sort of reciprocal relationship rather than you're the one down here and they're the one up there. And so I did really kind of push against that. And yeah, I probably rebelled. Like my first boyfriend wasn't necessarily um, that popular <laughs> at home. And um, and then I, I went through a period where I traveled quite a lot. So I used yeah. to dance, Irish dance. Yeah. And so we would go away uh, dancing like as part of a troupe and we'd go to these like dance festivals in Europe and then in, in later years we'd go to America and it was like, oh, such a sense of freedom. I was earning money yeah. and because I had that sense of independence, I was allowed to, I was kind of in the position where I could kick back on my parents in a mm. more, um, uh, like I, I didn't need them in my mind as much because I had a little bit of financial independence, which was quite unusual at that time. Um and then I went to, I remember having an injury. That's my daughter kicking the door. Oh, she wow. obviously has my sense of rebelliousness. <laughs> Boom. Uh, mom, she's three. It's not her yes. usual. <laughs> kicking off the door. Yeah. And that's your punishment. Yes. Like mom, like yes. daughter. Um, sorry. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. And then I I went to New York. um, So I had an ankle injury. Or was that when? No, no, no. When I finished at university, I decided to go to New York for a few months to work. You studied business in in university, didn't you? I studied business. Yeah. So I kind of... Is that because of your dad? um, I think so. I mean, and he didn't study. He he was a builder and he was like self... He worked in construction. Then he had his own company. And so like very much, you know, self-taught, self-made. But I guess maybe because they didn't have a massive amount of formal education education like third level education yeah. they were very keen that we had that mm-hmm. um and business kind of felt like a sensible option and I actually had always thought you know when I was asked as a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up I used to say I want to be a businesswoman in a turquoise convertible with my hair <laughs> blowing in the wind <laughs> it's like what a vision <laughs> I love that I'm actually choking Sorry, I think it was like inspired. Did you ever see the the film Baby Boom with Diane Keaton? I was gonna say, or even Barbie. You'd just be Barbie. 
Totally. But I, I had this kind of notion of like a slightly badass 80s woman. Like yeah. I was definitely going to be independent. I was definitely not going to have a boss. Like that was quite clear. I So, you know, when people say, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to work for myself. Literally hadn't a clue what that meant. And you'll know yeah. when you work for yourself, you actually work for 50 bosses, not one. So I don't know if I quite got what I wanted. But um, yeah, I... I can't remember what my train of thought was there. Oh yeah, I studied business. Anyway, I went to New York and I went a bit wild and I literally thought I was never going to come home from New York. I worked in a bar. I was going to set up my own, um, you know, chain of bars. So there was always a kind of like very entrepreneurial spirit. I really wanted to to do my own thing. That later became fashion I wanted to do. And then Mm. I did, you know, set up a stall myself and then I started writing and then I started, you know, kind of working in TV in a fashion capacity as a stylist and, um, and then telly just kind of opened up for me, which I hate saying because it makes it sound very easy, which, as you know, is yeah. not, you know, not the case. But it it did feel kind of like things aligned and the path was Makes kind of sense. cleared for yeah. that to happen. Yeah, for sure. How long were you in New York for? So I was in New York illegally for uh, so three, three months. No, I was on a holiday visa, but I did work okay. in a bar. I mean, I think it's too late for them to arrest yeah, me, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> prove it. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I so I worked for three months, and like, I mean, the tips were ferocious, and I was getting paid in cash, and it was like this whole new world. I had a, you know, and I, I was actually so that first three months, mm-hmm. I had the time of my life. I was there with my best friend. And she did not have much work. And so I was kind of like the breadwinner, which was not really what I signed up for. But anyway, it was grand. And then I went back and she thought, I'm not going back because I actually couldn't get a job. And I was living off you and I thought, cool. So I went back and I was quite miserable, actually, the second time round. But so stubborn, Otie. So stubborn. There was no way that I was going home with my tail between my legs. I was going to conquer New York on my own. And so I was still working. And the way I would kind of motivate myself to stay was obviously I was being paid in, in cash, tips. And so I would count my my cash and I would have it in a little box, a shoe box underneath my bed where I was staying and I'd like count them over and tie them around with elastic bands so I I could look in the box and go 200, Aww. 500 and in my mind I was like it's fine I'm I'm, I'm, I'm miserable You're I'm good. miserable I hate it but I'm fine I'm getting a bit of cash but, but, Bring me what, home. What, what was it that made you miserable? Um, I was deeply lonely mm. and I think I had kind of created this idea I was it's interesting. I listened to a podcast recently um, and I've read a book by Philippa Perry. I don't know whether you know her. She's a child psychologist. She's mar- married to Grayson Perry mm-hmm. and like just an amazing, amazing woman. And she has written a book called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had and Your Kids Will Be Glad You Did or something to that effect. And um, when I, oh, she, so she talked recently um about like when you're a teenager that in or- so you're born obviously into your tribe i.e. your family yeah. and then when you get, become a teenager you, you realise that your parents are not going to hang around forever and that the likelihood is that they will pass before you do yeah. and so then this like you know as a human as a is basically still a kid you're thinking shit I've got to find a new tribe in case these guys you know drop over so you in order to like leave the family you have to 
hate your parents for a period of time. So that we always think, oh, you know, teenagers, they're a bit hormonal, they're moody, yeah. da, da, da. But actually, it's part of the human condition or psyche to have to push what back. Anatomy. Exactly. And so it's almost a protection. So if, if you really hate your parents, it's easier for you to leave them. Oh. So, um, and I think maybe I took it a little far. <laughs> a, little um, far. But, a little too far, literally to New York. But I, I had this kind of notion that I, w- I needed to be like a one man band. Mm. I needed to be really independent. I hated being, um, uh, dependent on anyone. And I had this kind of crackpot notion that, that I had something to prove. I'm not mm. sure what I had to prove. And I remember my dad calling me. It was actually one of the most, um, you know, he's like pretty stoic, uh, Mayo man. That's like West of Ireland, okay. right? So he's, you know, he's a, he's a real softy, but like he doesn't wear them on the sleeve yeah, often. strong. He's a dead dad. He's a, a dead he's, yeah, dad. Ex- exactly that. And so he called me and obviously they could tell and it was my graduation and um, he could tell that I was quite miserable and he said, um, you know, you don't have to do this. And I was like, what do you mean I don't have to do this? And he said, I left Ireland, you know, however many years ago to work in England. And he said, I was really miserable for a period, but I didn't have a choice. Mm. And he was like, you don't have to do this. You don't have anything to prove. You can come home. And I was like, I know I can, but I'm not. (laughs) And so (laughs) I eventually did. But actually it was that kind of opening up of him going, babe, like you don't need to do this. You don't need to feel so isolated, so alone. You're not like, there's no end to the like there's no point really yeah. to this do you feel like um, the hesitation yeah. to go home was because you like like you said as a child you always loved this freedom you always loved to be liberated you were in new york that's ultimate freedomness now you totally. now you have to go back and that means you've lost the independence and and you you would possibly lose the freedom yeah i think that's a really good way of looking at it and i think i also thought that i would have failed mm. if I came home it somehow meant that I was a small town girl yeah. and that maybe I wasn't able for this big city and so I kind of couldn't quite um reconcile that with this idea of me as like a, a dudette in a convertible with her hair blown in the wind so I was like if I can't handle a few months <laughs> in New York I'm never going to be that guy so yeah. I think it was a right it was a rite of passage for me and I'm very determined when I set my mind to things and sometimes that's to my detriment but you know, it's also you know. So, get so stuff you go done. home. What What do you do? You You feel completely defeated, but you're home and you're safe. You're with your tribe. I'm I'm back with my tribe. Um. Then I kind of was quite lost. Mm. Um. I I had travelled in Southeast Asia actually after that. So I took a job. I worked in Zara, and retail was always. I always had a like part time job yeah. doing that. Is this where you became a stylist? Yes. After Well, I went to then, d- travelled in Southeast Asia. I spent a year in Australia and I kind of was having all of these ideas about coming home and setting up my own shop and my own label and da, da, da. And then I came home, absolutely broke mm. to the ropes and was like, oh, it's not that simple. Yeah. And so I worked um, in different shops and then I kind of, I was r- actually really quite miserable Mm. um and I just didn't know what I was doing anymore my kind of instinct had always been to run away and actually that was just a kind of distraction from figuring things out really for me and I just very 
I was very resistant to kind of growing up, whatever that meant. And um, and suddenly I was back in Dublin and did not know what I was going to do. And so I st- I kind of um, it took a number of different jobs that I really was not built for <laughs> and I eventually kind of like you know data entry yeah. I worked at a like accounts company I worked at a, a like for a what do you call the anaesthetist oh, wow. doing his accounts I mean like if he thought he was scatty I mean it was not the place for me but somehow I got the gig and I yeah anyway I I hated those jobs mm. and I was like maybe I'm just unemployable and then I heard about this little space in Dublin where like people were selling things and I thought oh it sounded a bit fashion-y and it kind of appealed to my little entrepreneurial spirit and so I I kind of spent my time in this company researching different brands and I eventually got in touch with a few brands in the UK handbag brands and um, I, I I pretended that I was an agent oh. for for brands and so I, I I know I know but you listen we got to do what you got to do so I I basically came over and like filled my bags I bought them obviously yeah. um and 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 sold them in this little space I got I got accepted into this little um like collective I guess kind of like Spitalfield markets for want of a better comparison and yeah started selling handbags and then through that there was a, a part-time gig going as an assistant to a personal shopper oh, your wow. face is so funny you're I'm like sh- what I'm is sh- happening no I'm just shocked because you have quite like I, I feel like you've you've had a lot of learning to do, but because of your determination, I I guess you did it, and and it, it's now yeah. like a fun adventurous story. What were the most imp- important lessons that you learned from traveling that you could take into your bag selling career? Oh, um, do you know what? I don't even know that my tra- I think actually what I realized was that my traveling was. And I loved it in many ways, but I was, I was kind of running away. I was quite uncomfortable in my own skin. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. I can pack my bags and I can go to different places, but I'm still not quite able to sit with myself. And so there was a kind of, you know, point in time where I came back and I was like, oh no, there's no distraction. There's no, you know, like delayed gratification. There's no, like I'm here and this is apparently my life. What what were you running away from? I don't know. I think it was a kind of sense of, um, I just was, um, I was just quite unsettled Mm. or uncomfortable in my skin, which feels quite counter to how people perceived me a lot of the time because everyone would have thought I was you know very giddy kind of yeah <laughs> giddy and 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 relaxed and I was kind of myself you know but I was I was very there was a lot going on mm. actually and yeah and then I was kind of landed back into Dublin and I thought wow this is this it and I kind of had this idea from when I was really small that I was going to do something big and I couldn't quite articulate or put my finger on what that might be but I kind of had this sense of like longing for a you know bigger life whatever that meant yeah. and then I came back to Dublin and I it felt like my prospects like my uh, the opportunities like I had kind of missed some uh, turning or some calling Mm. or some opportunity and here I was and I was going to have this you know job that I I hated forever and so I I realized at that point actually 
And it was only a short period of time that I had a real job. And I was like honestly miserable. And I would cry every day. I remember ringing my mom on, on the way to work, on the way home. I was very un, very unsettled and very unhappy. And I had a like long-term boyfriend at the time and he was on his own path. And I was just like, I'm. it almost accentuated, I suppose, yeah. how lost I felt. But actually that period made me so determined I'd always thought you know from my shoebox mm. days and counting counting my money I had I had thought that that was a real motivator for me and what I realized was here I was getting a relatively decent wage for not that much work and I was miserable and I realized that actually money is not the driving mm. force for me it was never going to be enough for me and I kind of decided at that time before I moved to to kind of making a go of this little stall and this little business that I had was like, you know, my happiness or finding something that I feel is in line with me on a kind of, maybe on a soul level. Fulfillment, absolutely, that that was so much more important to yeah. me than than a perceived big job or an impressive job, although I hadn't got there, but I knew that I had the capability to go down that yeah. road if I wanted to. And it just wasn't for me. And so I kind of, you know, was like quite scrappy and quite determined that actually if I was finding this slightly unconventional path to something, I didn't know what I was, go- where I was headed actually, but I knew that it was better than being in a job with a very clear path that made me you know quite sick actually but but that's such a beautiful kind of conclusion to come up with because anything you went into after that was then because you loved it and purely because you were passionate about it yeah so then which was a gift actually yeah well we're gonna stop there for part one sorry i'm i just keep talking don't i (laughs) No, I love it. I love listening to you talk. I feel like it's an adventure. Are you going to stay with me for part two? I am going to leave now, actually. No! (laughs) Little cliffhanger for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm-hmm. 